episode number 97 out of Denver, Colorado, stand-up comedian Christy Bukley is in the Springs. That's still cooler than anything I did today. It did go uh, fairly well. These people don't even know who I am. I don't even know how fucking cool I am. Oh, fuck that guy. Like, but in the most respectful way, you know. I can talk shop any, uh, as much as you want. No nice worries. job. All right. Christy Bukley. Hi. In hello. In the Springs. Thank yes, you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. And I haven't been to uh, Looney's in uh, literally four years. Now, so what's the why the delay? How come you haven't been um, I just haven't uh, been booked, and uh, they haven't uh, offered. <laughs> um, well, that, I'm, I'm, I'm not always the most aggressive about it, yeah. but also when you are aggressive, they don't usually pay enough to make the drive Absolutely. worth it when you're starting. And I probably would do it now, but before when I had like a day job, it was like, I can't not make any money and do all that driving yeah, and yeah. go to work and back and forth for four days straight or whatever, however yeah. it works. So, Well, that's actually kind of a good segue. Just start by telling me sort of your comedy history, how long you've been sure. doing this, when you got into it mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, I have been doing comedy for over six years now. It was six years in March. Um, and I started in Greeley, Colorado. Um, I went to UNC, uh, and I went and saw a friend do an open mic at a bar called Shorty's, uh, owned by Dave Aloise. He still produces some shows up in Greeley. Um, and I, I went and saw and watched everybody, and I was like, I could do this. I could do better than this. Uh, <laughs> so a month later, I planned, like we set a date, like the, the guy that I had seen do it, my friend, we set a date, and uh, I really did need that like set time I was going to start, or else I might have um, uh, got too scared to do it, but um, did my first set then, and I just have been doing it ever since. Nice. So, so how did you prepare for that first set? Did you have any idea what you were getting oh, into? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I didn't know... I, I mean, no one knows what they're doing the first time, but to, to prepare, I couldn't sleep the whole for the night before. And I watched stand up. Uh, I mean, I have always watched a ton of stand up, but like I probably watched every premium blend episode on <laughs> Comedy Central, right. just on demand all night. And I had written it all out, actually 10 minutes the first time I went up on stage and I had written it out word for word. Um, and it was terrible. Uh, just, I do a lot of same jokes, but the way I went into them was just terrible and just even give you a uh, even h- more hilarious example like my first comedy true comedy like uh influence was jeff foxworthy because that's just what i w- like grew up on so all my jokes were like you might be crippled if <laughs> jokes because I, ha- I have cerebral palsy for those of you who don't know so i thought like that's the only way you can do it oh, that's uh, it's so funny it's so that's fantastic ridiculous but um but i still appreciate like that being my background and watching the you know listening to so much stand-up as a kid and right um even one time i know when we were listening to um jeff foxworthy uh, probably totally committed on uh, we had it on tape and we listened to, to it in the car um 
Uh, me and my dad and I remember my dad turning and saying, you know, you could probably do this. Like I was probably only like 11 or 12 and yeah. he was like, you could probably do this one day. And so when I got the opportunity and call, like I never had thought I'd actually do it because I hadn't really been to live comedy. There was only one. I went to the Buell to see Blue Collar Comedy Tour Rides Again when I was 14 and that's the only live comedy I'd ever seen until I went to that open mic. Um, and like we were saying before we started recording, there's just no... There's no replacement for the live feeling. Right, right. Um, and that also the other thing, when I went and saw those guys, and even though I was like, oh, I could I could do better, like, go on a Greeley, I still um, remember thinking to myself, uh, that's still cooler than anything I did today. Like, and I still believe that. If you get up and talk into a microphone and give people your ideas, whether you bomb or not, it's still, like, way cooler than what most people did today. Right. So oh, that's a really cool way of looking at yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's the the best thing in the world for yeah. sure. So, so one one thing that's come up a lot on the podcast is typically when folks do it that first time, it generally doesn't go great. It may not be horrific, but it certainly isn't. You don't crush that right. that first time out. So, what was it about that experience that was like? I'm going to do this again mm-hmm. and again and again. Um. Well, again, I still didn't realize like how often people actually have to do it. I probably did it a week later. I went to the same open mic and I, I remember thinking, I can't go up. I don't have all new jokes. I don't have a whole te- new 10 minutes. I can't do it. And they're like, no, just go up again. And that's when I really realized like, oh, you can keep working on this and do them differently and what yeah. have you. But, um, it did go uh, fairly well because again, there wasn't a lot of competition as far as, um, being good or bad just everybody was bad um and i also brought a lot of friends the first time so that really helped um but i don't think that i thought that it was something that i would do forever until uh, i graduated college and i uh finished up with student teaching and then i got back into comedy i maybe took two months off while i was doing student teaching which is the longest break i've ever taken um and coming back i realized oh i'm gonna do this for forever at that point because i missed it so much and it just did so much for my mental health and my happiness and stuff so well this is sort of a a lame psychobabble question but what what is it about stand-up specifically that that draws you to it like what is it about Mm -hmm. getting up on stage and in front of strangers on a thursday night right you know that kind of Um, thing uh my number one thing, and I think that's why there's a lot of like underrepresented um, people in comedy, is because it gives that illusion of having a conversation with the audience, but you get to control it, and you get to control how you present yourself and how they um, perceive you to a certain extent. And that's something that a lot of people, you know, if you're a minority or a woman or someone that's disabled or transgendered or gay or anything, um, they haven't had that control in life before they've all been um, marginalized at some point. And then you get this, this opportunity to really present yourself in the way that you see yourself and want to be seen. And also just be able to tell your story without other people assuming things about you. I think that's why it's always been so uh, powerful for me. I, I usually will be very quiet until I do a set like, Cause I want, I feel like you don't know me until you've seen me do comedy yeah. and I feel that way about my own family. If you haven't seen me do comedy, you don't know me at all. Really? Like, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So has your, is your family supportive of this choice or yeah. they, they come out and see you? Yeah. Um, my mom's pretty religious, so she doesn't come very often, but <laughs> sometimes she comes. Um, and then uh, my sister's seen me a few times, but she hasn't, hasn't lived in the States since I started doing comedy. My dad comes quite a bit. I've, I've, uh, I, I give him a lot of crap when I'm on, when I'm on stage, he gets a lot of heat and it's very funny, yeah. um, but he is a good sport about it. Um, but there's other people like for the long this time my mom hadn't seen me and and they've only seen maybe short sets at the club if you haven't actually seen me do like like i just did a 15 minute set where it was looser and um that you know and you get to really see who i am it's uh yeah i really feel like they don't know they don't know me yeah so i think my stepdad's only seen me once i i my brother is 16 he's young and he hasn't been able to see me do comedy and i just feel like he won't actually know who i am until he gets old enough to come watch i've tried many times to be like can he come and see and the my mom won't let him in wow, and most venues won't let him in anyways yeah. but um yeah so that's a that I, I mean that's really interesting and it really kind of speaks to the vulnerability of stand-up because i think you know there's a lot of different art forms that that people express themselves but stand-up is unique where it is so raw and bare it's you with a microphone yeah telling your story and so kind of going back to your your start with getting into stand-up and listening to Jeff Foxworthy, did you mm-hmm. feel like you were sort of a parody of a comedian when you first did it, or did you feel I, like yeah, pretty I, authentic? I, well, when you start, you you don't know anything. I mean, I've and I've read a book, and I believe that this is true, that most comics, when you start, you're all being a parody of somebody. You're being even a character of yourself. Yeah. That way, when you bomb, you can disconnect from it and be like, well, that's not me. That's like my character on stage. Yeah. Um, but I got rid of that pretty quickly. I would say probably within two months, I wasn't doing comedy that way at all. Like maybe even within a month, I didn't I didn't do like a Jeff Foxworthy approach. Um, I've uh, That's been maybe one of my stronger suits is that I've always really been my like if you ask me to be an actor or do a character i'm like uh, uh, <laughs> but like being myself i'm very very good at that yeah. um so i i disconnected from that um parody of some of a comedian even or 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 a specific comic pretty early but a lot of people do it as a self-preservation tool and they do it for a long time i mean i think that even you could even say, you know, Jesselnick is still a character of himself, like of somebody up there. I don't know who he is, um, but a lot of people like that. But I, I honestly, like, I don't connect to comics who are uh, not themselves. Like, if I don't feel like I'm being let in on a secret yeah. uh, or like who you really are, I kind have no... Kind of the intimacy of that yeah. connection. Again, it f- should, f- to me, comedy should feel like a conversation that you don't even realize you're not participating in yeah. if you're the audience member. So for you, was that a conscious decision or did that just organically happen where it's like, nope, this is Christy? Um, it was not a conscious de- decision. I don't think anything when you start out for like the first three years is a conscious decision you're just like <laughs> throwing everything at the wall and just seeing what sticks and you don't even realize the habits you pick up that start like start sticking and what's working and why it's working it takes a really long time to actually turn around and be able to analyze that i think i'm i'm obviously still um figuring it out but um like i, I said on stage i don't drink uh anymore and i i really don't especially around comedy it's my job uh now um, but even in the last year of not drinking, my self-awareness and my ability to like examine what I'm doing on stage 
has gone to a whole other level while I was drinking and doing uh, shows. Not that I was doing bad shows or bad comedy, but my ability to look back and say like what worked, what didn't, why did it work was not there at all. Yeah. What was the decision to stop drinking? Um, Well, I'm very uh, bad at it or good at it, whatever you want (laughs) to say. Um, But it was, it was getting to the point where I wasn't, I didn't have a day job anymore. So when you're going to bars every night, there's nothing stopping you from being wasted every night because you don't have to get up for anything in the morning. You're drinking for free half the time. That's your pay. So it was just like getting out of control in that way. Um, but I also had followed the example of, uh, of a Ben Roy or, a. um, Amber Tozer is another comic, yeah, uh, Andrew yeah. Orvidal, um, even Jordan Dahl, like they've all quit drinking and like they're the, it's just such a po- more positive way. So, um, I looked at it as everybody going to LA and moving on. It was my turn to stand, step up and be a leader and be one of the top people. And so it was more a choice of just taking myself more seriously for sure. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations. Thank you. That's very yeah, cool. Yeah. So was there any concern that Christy, who drinks on stage, or not on stage, but drinks mm-hmm. and goes on stage, versus Christy, who doesn't drink and goes on stage, were you concerned yeah. that you were going to lose something or your identity was going to change somehow? Oh, it was hard at first. I felt like my brain moved so slow. You catch every time, like, you catch every time you stumble on a word you catch every time you're a little bit slow or maybe you say something wrong, you notice the distractions in the audience so much more. Um, And it really affected me. It probably took two two or three months. Um, What brought me out of that, you know, overanalyzing is I went to Chicago and just did show after show after show in front of new um, comics, you know, and I was able to do older jokes that I was more comfortable with and like um, just really get back to to me as a person, well, not even getting back to it, I probably never knew myself as a sober comic. Like, I remember uh, drinking, I remember getting so drunk the very first night I did comedy, I got kicked out of the Rio for on my third margarita or whatever. So, like, I don't, I didn't know myself as a sober comic whatsoever. And, yeah. and that being said, maybe I never even knew myself at all. But, um, but yeah, it, it came and I still came back. I came back from that Chicago show to do the Comedy Works contest and I didn't move on and I was very stiff and weird, but, um, and I still felt, you know, different, but then that over-awareness that got in the way at the beginning becomes even more um, of an asset on stage. You're able to think quicker. You're able to call back to things because you remember it from two minutes ago. <laughs> like you're able to address the audience when they're being weird. You're, you know, the details actually help you be a better comic. But yeah. at first, it is very distracting and very loud <laughs> yeah. in your face, in your head. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, a little bit about um, the kind of your progress starting in Greeley, and now you're pretty ingratiated in the Denver scene. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I've heard, yeah. certainly, and, and, yeah. and a little, you know, the research that I did on you. So what is, what was that transition like for you going from, you know, UNC and Greeley mm-hmm. to the big city, yeah. quote unquote, into Denver? Well, it helped that I grew up in Denver, so I wasn't a huge deal. I think it was a huge benefit to actually start in Greeley, and a lot of my early sets were also in Fort Collins because those audiences are very... Um, 
very nice. So it gives you a sense of, uh, of um, confidence that you don't necessarily get if you're just going to Denver. Um, I also was just different. So I didn't have to... Like, I think that the hardest, uh, this whole conversation about being white male privilege, like, that's the, comedy might be one of the only places that you have a disadvantage, because you're just not special. Like, I don't know how just a regular, yeah, I don't know how a regular guy, like, gets noticed, you know, how do you show, so, I'm lucky enough, as a woman, if you're even a little bit funny, you can really pop, so it didn't have a huge, um, uh, problem tr- transitioning. Um, I also got s- early support from, you know, Sam Talent was a huge one at the beginning, and Kevin O'Brien was another one. So um, I was very, and I met Sam up in Fort Collins when I still lived up there and was still doing jokes up there. The fact that he went on the road and went to Springs and went up north to do sets um, really helped me get to know people before I moved down um there but i did move down there specifically for comedy for sure i was up in Greeley after i graduated and i was like nope this isn't this i can't do this uh so i moved to denver pretty quickly after i graduated so and i actually chose comedy pretty early um over teaching because i i couldn't get it was right during the crash of uh 2008 when the economy went down and they were cutting um, school. I, gr- I graduated into 2010, so the effects of the Walmart or the Walmart, the Wall Street crash, um, were really in effect on schools. So I could have gotten a teaching job if I wanted to move to Roaring Forks or Grand Junction or some town in Wyoming. But the problem was, I was always like, well, there's no comedy there. And even then, when I didn't even think of myself as like, I'm a comedian, like I was somebody who was like, I still do. Co- I do comedy. I'm not a comedian. Yeah. But early on, I, I, I obviously chose comedy. I was like, I need this in my life, whether, no matter what happens. So if I'm not a teacher, then so be it. Yeah. And I, that's the choice I made for and, sure. And you're so. full time now, right? Uh, comic. Comedy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do temp work here and there to pay the bills, but yep. Uh, yeah. full time comic and, uh, worked towards that goal slowly, but surely. And it's, it's been going great. I love it. So what was that, that decision process for you? Cause I, mm-hmm. I romanticize that idea of, you know, a young comic who's getting started. It's like, this is what I do now. Mm-hmm. And as an old guy with kids, it's terrifying. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't, no. So I admire that Thank tremendously. You. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was a big shift for sure. So the way that it really happened was I made a promise to myself on Facebook. I like did it public. I have to do everything publicly to hold myself accountable. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> I uh, posted on Facebook maybe uh, must have been four years ago now thinking about where I lived um, at the time I posted I said if I still love this as much as I love it today I'm quitting my job in five in five years if I still love this as much as I do today I'm quitting my job and being a comedian full-time so that was always the goal and and working a full-time job got even worse and worse once the more more you do comedy the more you get paid and the more you do cool things it's like you sit in your cube at your job and you're just like these people don't even know who i am <laughs> i don't even know how fucking cool i am <laughs> like you just get it just boils up in you but um what it ultimately came down to is i uh got uh fired <laughs> thank you very much yes i got i won't uh, say let off i definitely got fired all part um, of the plan mm-hmm 
<laughs> and but I still got unemployment, uh, and I used that nine months of time to really pare down my bills. I moved from my one bedroom in Cap Hill to East way East Colfax with a roommate, and I pared down my bills, and I I spent the time like really making um, my bills smaller so that once I was done with unemployment. Um, it would be something I could handle. So I definitely don't live in the lap of luxury. Uh, every time I like eat uh, not on my food stamps, I get a tiny panic attack. Um, <laughs> but I get to do what I want for the most part, and I get to make the room for um, um, go- going to comedy and going on the road and stuff. It was amazing that once I made the room for more shows where I didn't have to plan around my work schedule or say no to so many things. It was amazing how much that work actually filled in. And again, it was also a very good time because it was like, I lost my job maybe a couple months before, you know, Kristen and Troy and Chris Charpentier and, and, and Haley and everybody moved. So it was just the, and the Grolics, you know, started their show and stuff. So it was just the timing was perfect where it's like, well, there's a lot more stage time for me to go around at this, this point as well. Yeah. So, well, and it does feel like your, your class of comedy is kind of the second wave following like Grolics and those guys like you and yeah. Sam and Nathan and, that that whole oh, yeah, crew, yeah, I'm glad like, to be considered in their class because exactly, to me yeah. they were always like the the seniors. I, I've definitely worked up to that point, and yeah. I I don't feel so far behind them. But I remember starting out, and when I saw Sam. Uh, up at Hody's Half Note in Fort Collins, I was like, this dude is the truth. Like, yeah. I was just like, whoa. This and is, is that inspiring or intimidating um, or both? Or how did you, how um, do you respond it was to those guys? To see good, and I tell, I tell new comics this all the time because I think they get a little bit in the, the vein of watching open mics too often and watching shitty comedy. Um, whereas, uh, I think the most important thing you can do as a comic is making sure you're still seeing good live comedy. So for me, it's always, it's always inspiring. And even, even if you walk away going, God damn it, I'm not even doing, I'm actually not (laughs) doing it. Like I even, this happened to me two weeks ago. I, I was hosting new talent night and having a great night and they were hot up top and and they kind of died down um, a little bit. And, and I was like, well, I had a great set. Like I really can't, you know, I was doing my job. And then uh, Lewis Johnson got on stage as the headliner and just like destroyed. destroyed. And I was like, I, I'm not even doing comedy. Am I (laughs) like, this is adorable. This hobby I have, uh, that's exactly how I, how I, feel and so i've always felt that from the beginning it's always been inspiring to me even if you walk away and go oh fuck that guy like but in the most respectful way (laughs) you know it's inspiring to work harder and then when you get to that point where you are you know when somebody is telling you you're in a class with sam or you know you you see yourself growing beyond people that you looked up to it's it's so exciting it is so exciting for for me at least and it's always a goal. My, it's always my goal to be the funniest person in the room, even yeah. though if I, I know that it, it would be impossible. Uh, I'm always trying. That'd be my number one goal every day. Yeah. So work harder than everybody in the room and also uh, be funnier than them. And you don't always uh, achieve that. Most of the time, I actually don't. But um, if you're not trying to do that, I don't know what anybody's doing. Yeah. Well, that actually kind of leads into my next question as Mm -hmm. far as your career. Do you have goals? Do you have kind of a target or a path that you're working towards? Or how does that manifest for you? Well, my biggest goal is always, and I still need to like get more 
um, gigs going my way. But my biggest goal, no matter what happens, is to be able to be doing this for my job. Right. If I'm not famous, fine. Who cares? If I'm on the road all the time, fine. I just want to be doing this as my job. So in, in a sense, I'm already doing what I want to be doing. Nice. Um, but I do try instead of the like long term of like, I want to be writing for a show or I want to be um, in LA. I want to be, you know, on a, I want my own TV show. I try to just um, set uh, goals for myself like every year. So like maybe three big ones a year um, are, are my main thing. So this year, my biggest goals are a, to, to keep, uh, trading comedy as my job and not drinking around it. Uh, number two is start producing more shows to take a leadership role in the Denver comedy. This is the first year I've produced any shows with Power Middle and, and Pussy Rose. And then um, the third one is just um, to go on the road more. So um, I these ones are a little less um, uh, number-driven people would call them smart goals things you can measure um so uh, i maybe need to spend a little bit more time with them but 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 i think it's mostly just um focusing on those this year but the, in the past it's been um get a funny final four team uh get to the finals of the new faces contest uh go be asked to be on the growlix was a huge one for me one year i had it written on a chalkboard in my kitchen for a year um bridge bridgetown is still one for me even though i feel like that's i've kind of let that one uh go but i would love to still get into bridgetown um obviously getting asked to be on high plains is always a goal for me even though it's like Karen's like, of course, still every year. I'm like, maybe not this year. You know, you never know. Yeah, You're just like, yeah. what if I am totally delusional and actually just talking to myself in my room and I don't even realize that this isn't comedy. You know, I don't know. But yeah. um, so those are the things. But I try to set like three main goals. And so, again, just like doing more of the, I think just the major part of my goals this year is doing the business side. So, uh, of things where it's being more responsible, being more proactive about booking myself, going on the road, producing shows, which is something I've not done ever before. I've always focused on the jokes, be funny, be funny. Now that I'm feeling more comfortable with that and producing material at a higher, um, rate, I feel more comfortable focusing on the business side of everything, which I have to, because yeah, uh, yeah. how am I going to pay my bills? So. Well, yeah, and that's really encouraging to hear you say that, because a lot of comics that I talk to, the, the business aspect of being a stand-up is a real challenge, mm-hmm. because it's not fun. It's, you know, getting no. on stage is the vacation part of it. Right. And so the fact that you're even conscious of, I need to position myself where I, I have mm-hmm. a couple more things that I'm able to do outside of being on stage. Right. Well, and part of my goal, like... Uh, to go back to goals my goal unless it was a garlic situation where i had an agent that's like you need to be here i have work for you part of my goal is not to go to la i have no desire to be there uh unless uh, there's a job but like chasing the chasing the dream like i'm a pure stand i'm not really an actor like i said i can only be myself really on stage um and and i also don't really love the comedy that la is producing on a whole like so for me to be the funniest version of myself la would not be conducive to that for me um so i would go there again if somebody wrote a show for me where i had to just be myself yeah sure um but then also i have a disability as well so um Josh Blue made a great point on a podcast once. He's like, 
I'm not gonna go into a casting call and like they're gonna be like, oh yeah, you're so good. We'd love to work around your disability. Like that's not gonna happen for me either. Yeah. That's just the reality of the situation. So it's like going to LA and chasing, you know, trying to make it and going to all these, you know, casting calls and and all that and auditioning and auditioning for acting roles is just not. It's not my thing. Yeah. You know, doing pures and good stand-up is that's my thing so part of doing the business side and producing better shows is about making sure denver stays strong so that i can stay here if yeah. it's not strong i can't stay here and do comedy and get paid and um, obviously it doesn't rest on my shoulders but i just feel like it's part of my job as you know moving up in the scene and becoming more of a veteran to do that so yeah well good on you with the la thing because i think Thanks. a lot of people you kind of get into the machine of entertainment mm -hmm. and then I, I guess I have to go to LA now. Right. So just the fact that yeah. you're aware that no. that's kind of not what I <laughs> No, I mean, do. again, if an agent is, happens to be listening, I would love <laughs> to be represented and, you know, my we can ten, talk. My tens of listeners uh, will. Yes, yes. <laughs> I understand. I have tens of listeners too and <laughs> I put it out there every week. So em Empty um, Girlfriend. Yes, Got Empty it. Girlfriend right. is a podcast that I run with Haley Driscoll. Um, and she moved to LA and uh, she's doing it there and she's doing a lot of shows um she might be going crazy i don't know uh <laughs> seems seems really hard um but yeah it's it's a quality of life thing like I would, i'll definitely go to la if if my career warrants it but i won't go in hopes of right right creating something yeah. there um just won't happen yeah so well, what do you and i don't want to keep you too much longer oh, but what no do you worries. think it is about because again i'm sort of enamored with the denver scene um i had an opportunity to work up there years ago um, what is it about Denver? What's the special sauce about Denver that I think nationally it's recognized as mm -hmm. one of the one of the headquarters of comedy? I think that that's a fair a yeah. fair statement. What, why do you think that is? What is it about that environment that raises it sure. to that level? Um, well, number one is the club. Comedy Works is just so it's the best club in the nation. So we're very lucky to be working around that. Wendy's also the best businesswoman you could possibly watch around comedy and the system that they have in working at the club. While it sometimes just feels like bullshit. Sorry, Wendy, if you're listening, um, it does feel like it. They create great comics. They give you something to work for. Whereas everyone in a lot of other scenes, I think are just throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. Like they give you a very good path of like, not how you're supposed to do your career, but how to be funny. Um, they're, they're great at that. Training you how to be funny um, is great. Um, and me and Rachel Weeks were actually talking about this in the car on the way up because she, she was from Des Moines, and so she had to choose between Chicago and Denver. And, and Chicago would have actually been closer, and she knew a lot of people there. But culturally, she didn't see the same drive to be funny um, in Chicago that she saw in Denver. Like people, um, it's like a pride issue. It's like we have to be funny. We have to keep up the the you know the reputation of the club. We have to keep up the reputation that Adam Kane Holland has uh, be bequeathed to us. <laughs> we have to keep that up, even right, though right. he's not here. So it's a it's a certain um, it's a work ethic thing, and it's like. And, and funny is number one, yeah. you know, being cool, being, you know, uh, being weird, being in, inventive are all great things. And it obviously helps. But if you're not funny first, then it does not 
nothing else matters. Yeah. Like, and so that's just the benchmark. Um, a lot of people put on, put on it. Um, but yeah, we just, it's just a pride issue for sure. Of well, and everybody is, you know, is chasing that dream, whatever that is and however they define that. But it feels like Denver isn't competitive. It's a very collegial environment in terms of, you know, that saying the mm -hmm. uh, high tide raises all boats or whatever. Sure. And, and to me, that's part of that allure of Denver's that it's the best of the best in terms of comedy, but it's also very collegial. Everybody wants to see everybody do well. Well, we all have to be doing well in order to keep the reputation up is something I think we've established. Right. There's definitely still a uh, competition uh, sure. in my heart. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, there is, <laughs> it is, it is a thing of like, if you're doing well and you show, you know, an agent in LA that good comedy can come from Denver, that means that, you know, maybe they'll pay attention to me when it, comes my time and right. so we realized that together you know as long as we're all we all have to be funny in order for them to keep paying attention to us it can't just be one or two of us so we can't throw everybody else down because if there's only five good comics in denver they don't care they have five good comics in la they don't need us anymore yeah, so we yeah. all need to be good and it also um comes from the perspective of if other people aren't good it doesn't push me to be good it doesn't keep me better yeah. um and that's something i've been struggling with like getting to closer to the top um i work with the guys at comedy works and they're great to watch but they're not out at the indie scene and they're not at the mics and stuff where you're wor really working and and honing your skills all the time so part of me is like you little assholes need to get better so it gets it's a totally selfish <laughs> pursuit it's like you i want to be i want to go to a mic everyone thinks i'm very mean and i don't like them and i don't uh i don't care and i want them to be bad and i hate them which is not true i i literally that's my face um i want you guys to all be so good it scares me yeah. like that i have to show up to push and yes push, yeah. yes i don't want you to be bad i don't want you to suck i don't think you suck i want you to be so good it it keeps me up at night yeah. and then I go to an open mic to work on my jokes. Nice. So, well, Christy Bukley, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. You were a delight to talk to and your set tonight was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Uh, so wish you all the best Appreciate and uh, enjoy your time here in the Springs. I will. Thanks. Thank Bye. you. So there you have it, the lovely and talented stand-up comedian Christy Bukley. My thanks to Christy for taking time out after her Thursday set at Looney's Comedy Corner to be on the show. All the best to Christy as she continues her comedy journey up in Denver, Colorado. My thanks to Eric and the great folks at Looney's Comedy Corner for their continued support. And as always, thank you for listening to In the Springs. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a second to post a positive review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast media. Until next time, I'm Ryan Lowry, and we'll see you again right here in the Springs. Springs.